Hello, this is Dave with The Clean Life. We're going to be taking a break through the end of the year, but we thought maybe if you were new to the program, you might enjoy hearing some of our earlier episodes. So sit back and enjoy this encore episode of The Clean Life. Hello, this is Steve Shirley with RNS Northeast, and this is The Clean Life. Everybody. Welcome back to another great episode of The Clean Life. This is your host, Molly, and it is officially November. I know last week we talked with Brittany Dingler about landscaping and kind of the fall and the winter, but, you know, one thing that I've realized is that November has a lot of, like, this awareness month, but one that is near and dear to my heart is that November is pancreatic awareness month, and most of you don't know this, but I, in my spare time, volunteer for the Nikki Mitchell Foundation, and we raise money and awareness for pancreatic cancer patients and research, and we try our best to help the patients versus just kind of putting everything that we have towards research so that, you know, they're getting meals when they can't, they're getting rides to their appointments, things of that nature. So today, I have a very special guest with me. She is the president of the Nikki Mitchell Foundation. Her name is Rhonda Miles. Rhonda, say hey. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for coming all the way down to Pulaski for me. Hey, it's beautiful down here. It is. Have you ever been down here? No. Well, I've flown over it, but I haven't driven down here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had never heard of Pulaski until Jordan and then, you know, Lawrenceburg and Pulaski being so close, we came over here, I guess, like, the first time he took me home. And, I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah, it is. It it's is. small, but it's beautiful. <laughs> well, it's like driving through. I thought, oh, this is, this reminds me of where Molly graduated college. <laughs> Arkadelphia, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. So, pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer deaths in the U.S. Correct. behind lung and colon. And I feel like... Pancreatic cancer is not something that's talked about a whole lot. I mean, it is like today because Alec Trebek just passed away. Yes, yes. But I feel like it's not something that's very recognized. It's not. And uh, there's starting to be a little more than there was in the past. Now, we we passed breast cancer last year. As, really? Yeah, breast cancer was the third leading cause of cancer death. Okay. And then last year, uh, the first of the year, it became pancreatic cancer. Okay. So, you know, people are starting to talk a little bit more about it, especially when you have somebody like Alex Trebek right. or, th or John Lewis. John yeah. Lewis just passed away from pancreatic cancer. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know? Okay, yeah. So there's, there's numerous people. I mean, I could go through a whole list uh, of people in the past. Right. But um, it's, it, it's starting to, to be a little more um, awareness brought to it. Right. But it's still not. It's still there. It still only gets like one percent of the national um, grant money. Right. You know, it just doesn't get enough funding. And that's so surprising, considering it is the third yes. leading. But like, I wish that there was a rank on how popular. 
I know. You know what I mean? Because I feel like anytime I hear cancer, I think of breast cancer. Yes. And then lung cancer. And just because I feel like those are everywhere. And I know that we do our best to, like, get it out there, but I don't know why there's not more. Right. Uh, Usually every year there's about 56,000 people that are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. And then about 70, 71%... Uh, don't survive the first year. It's got a, I mean, it's taken until this past year to get a double-digit five-year survival rate. Well, I was about to say, before coming on here, I saw our new graphic come out with the 10% of five-year survival rate. And I know before the graphic was 8%. Mm -hmm. And so I I was like, wow, that's, you know, we're making a little progress. (laughs) Or trying to anyways. (laughs) Absolutely. So why... Why pancreatic cancer? Why the Nikki Mitchell Foundation? Like, what started all of this? There is nothing in my past that ever thought I would be running a nonprofit. I mean, nothing at all. Um, I was raised in aviation. My dad was a crop duster. I, it, it was required to solo at 16 or you <laughs> couldn't drive a car. And, um, I mean, it was just part of, it's like somebody whose dad is a railroad engineer, they're normally going to be around trains. Right. Well, I was around planes. And um, I was a corporate pilot for 20 years. And one day, well, before I was a corporate pilot, I, I was an instructor. I taught at a little airport outside of Nashville, Lebanon. And I taught in a 1946 J3 Cub, fabric airplane, <laughs> had no electrical system. You had to hand prop it to get it. It's like a wind-up toy. And that's what, <laughs> that's what I taught people to fly in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I was um, standing in the lobby one day. I, no, I'd come in from the uh, hangar, and somebody had damaged my airplane. So I had a clothes iron in one hand and a 12-inch needle in the other one. No. And Nikki Mitchell was standing there. I'd never met her. And she was standing there with her instructor, and she kept looking at me. And finally, she walked across, and she goes, Excuse me, (laughs) Um, you're at an airport, and you've got a clothes iron and a long needle. Can (laughs) I ask what you're doing? You know, and I told her, I said, You know, somebody damaged my airplane, so I'm repairing it. You know, because on a fabric airplane, you have to rib stitch and you have to glue and tape and then iron it down and it's a whole process so I had learned that when doing the tails of my dad's uh, ag planes in the winter time when they weren't flying so I'd redo all the tails so we got to talking and we started talking about tailwheel aircraft and that's what I flew in you look at an airplane now it's got a, a wheel under the nose well the ones I fly have the wheel under the tail. There's no nose wheel. Okay. And they're harder to fly. It's like somebody driving a stick shift or an automatic. Okay. All it's right. A little like, more of a challenge. Yes, a lot more of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she had just purchased one out of a barn, and it was horrible looking. <laughs> but um, she turned to her instructor, and she said, if you don't mind, I want her to teach me instead of you. No way. <laughs> she fired him in front of me and I'm standing with my iron and my needle going oh my gosh she just fired this male pilot because it is a man's world right and um so we started flying together and uh we we flew for 
a couple of years, well, we'd been flying a couple of months, and she started talking about, I mean, I could, I could talk about this all day long, and it has, <laughs> right now, it has nothing to do with pancreatic cancer. We'll it's get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Nikki Mitchell Foundation is named after Nikki, and so I feel like it's important for us to get her, like, get to know her, yeah. you yes, know, because absolutely. that's what has driven this whole foundation was yes. her and her personality and the impact that she left on so many people. Absolutely. So, Please continue with that, yeah. (laughs) Well, we'd been flying for about two months, and she started talking about Russian night witches. And these are women that flew in World War II. They flew a PO2. They they were open cockpit airplanes in the middle of the winter. They dropped bombs on the Germans at night. They did all this crazy stuff, and she had learned about them. And so one of them, Marina Roscova, had gone ahead after, before that, she uh-huh. and two other women, Valentina Grizadubova and, um, and I'll think of the third <laughs> one here in a little while, <laughs> but it's a tongue teaser too. But they had flown a nonstop flight from Moscow to the Far East, and they broke a world record. So, she, and that was in 1938. So we were flying along, and she said, do you think we could take this airplane the one she bought out of the barn, and trace that flight and just retrace it. And I said, yes. And she goes, do you want to? I said, sure. Why not? Why not? (laughs) You know, I'm game. So uh, we started working on it and working with the Russians. And two years later, we took off from Lebanon, Tennessee, and flew that flight in formation with, you know, Russian women pilots. Yeah. And so... 49 days later, we came back and had done the around the world, but the main part was through Russia and Siberia. And um, everybody said, we won't be friends. You'll never be friends with her because (laughs) y'all have just done this thing, and you've been in the cockpit together for 49 days. You've seen each other at your worst, the whole thing. But we were closer than ever. And so um, we stayed stayed tight. We stayed, went on, did our own lives, and then in that was in 1998, and then in 2010, Nikki was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Okay. And so just, what, 12 years later? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, 12 years later, uh, she was diagnosed. And to know Nikki, it, I mean, she was my best friend, but you will never hear me say I was her best friend. Because if you met her within 15 minutes, you thought you were her best friend. And yeah. I'd never take that away from anybody else. Right. I mean... She was mine. Right. And everybody else was hers, too, you know. Yes. But um, she was an amazing person. I, I saw one person that didn't like her one time, and I got up, and she's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go chase that woman down and say, please tell me why you don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> so this trip around the world, you know, how long did it take you guys to plan that? It took two years to plan it. I mean, we did crazy things. I mean, crazy things. We flew over to Moscow in April before we took off the 4th of July in 1998. Mm -hmm. But we didn't know if the Russians were doing what they needed to do to plan their part. And they were faxing things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was 1998. Yeah, I guess that's true. You can't just like text and say, hey, you ready? Like, we're almost there. (laughs) So we flew over, 
to just check on them. This, yeah. I mean, flew commercially, went over there and had no appointments with anybody. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. But um, we decided, now this is how crazy we were. We walked into the Kremlin without an appointment and said, hi, we're from Tennessee. <laughs> we have a plan, and we just want to talk to y'all about it. <laughs> Not something you necessarily want to just walk in and say. Yeah, that's true. That could definitely be taken the wrong way. Yes, but we ended up meeting with with all of these amazing people. The head of the Russian, the equivalent of the FAA. Right. I mean, her right-hand uh, man. Um, and, and learning, uh, and I spoke no Russian. <laughs> Did Nikki? She spoke a little bit. Okay. She could kind of, but we took a translator with us. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> And I would say things, and it would, it would be the wrong thing, and they'd just look at me after she had translated it. And finally, I just told her, before you translate it, make sure that I'm not saying something stupid. Right. You know, because a lot gets lost in that. Yeah. A lot can get lost yeah. in translation. I imagine that would be hard. So where, besides Russia, where all did you guys kind of stop on your trip? So we had, to, we had a deadline to get into Russia. Okay. At that time, it was against their rules to fly into the into the Russian airspace without a Russian navigator translator on board your airplane. Well, oh, wow. the airplane we had, the back seat was out of it, and we had a 60-gallon fuel tank stuck back there for extra fuel because okay. we had to fly across the North Atlantic. Right. And we didn't have space for anybody, so they gave us this window of time. So we... Flew as fast as we could <laughs> to get to Norway, you know. So we yeah. went to um, we went up to the northeast of United States and had that ferry ferry tank put in the airplane, uh, the gas tank. Okay, and um, then went up into northern Canada, hopped over to Greenland, went around the coast of Greenland <laughs> to the other side, and um, hopped over to Iceland. Spent a day or two there, and then went to the Faroe Islands, spent about two hours there, <laughs> <laughs> and then went to Norway, and um, no, went to, yeah, and um, Finland. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm sitting here trying to remember my route. <laughs> so we sat at Finland, because we knew Finland was the last place, you know, we sat in Helsinki, and we waited to our window of time. And so we were there about four days, and then we flew into um, Russia, and uh, they picked us up there. Holly Demakaganova, who is the 1986 World Aerobatic Champion from Russia, <laughs> she met us there with a, a male Russian pilot, and she was, they were going to fly us to Moscow. Mm -hmm. She was getting in our airplane, and Nikki was getting in his airplane. And so, as we're flying along, Russia was in the middle of negotiations with their air traffic controllers, and they were wanting to strike. But they had been told, because the Russian government was all about this flight, right? They'd been told if they struck, they would be retired. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! So you guys had to get all the permissions oh, yeah. from Russia in order to be able to fly over there. Yeah, we worked for two years on this thing. We lost all of our sponsors because Russia didn't give us permission until five days before we got this. No fast. way. Yeah. We were selling everything we had. <laughs> I called her up and I said, do you have the title to your trooper? 
She said, yes. I said, good, because I just hocked it. And she's <laughs> like, oh, okay. We put second mortgages on houses, oh everything to get the money at the last minute. And then five days before we took off, we get this fax that says, you have permission to take off. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Said, you know. So we took off. But, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. But the Russian um, air traffic controllers were not really happy with us. Right. And so in between um, going into Moscow, and they yell on the radio. I mean, <laughs> our air traffic controllers speak. I mean, Russians yell. Yeah. And this guy was yelling, and, and Holiday was going, net, net, net. And I was like, I don't know, what's he saying? You know, and she goes, he wants us to turn around and come back to Novogorod and land. And I'm like, why? And she goes, he say he, you must be tired. <laughs> I said, tell him I'm not tired. I've only flown an hour. <laughs> so they made us turn around and go back. Really? Yes. He wouldn't clear us any further, but he was showing his authority. Right. And they, so Holly did, he fought for an hour or two in, in his office and Phone would ring, and he'd pick up the phone, and he'd be yelling, nip, 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 <laughs> and then slam it down, and she'd pick up the phone, call somebody, and they'd call him, and he'd oh go, nip, 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 and then finally he was like, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> you finally got the okay. Yeah, so we took off and went on into Moscow, and um, that's where we met everybody. That's where we did our planning with them for the the commemorative flight. Okay. You know? And... Um, that's when Nikki got into an AN2 with um, Natalia Vinogorova, who is one of just a few air, female airline pilots in Russia at the time. It was 1998. And then Halida Makaganova got into the mall with me. And so we flew a Russian and an American in each airplane. Right. And um, we just started. And, of course, the Russian government sent a military airplane to go along with us. Of course. As support. Oh, yeah, support, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, they went along with us the whole time. That's awesome, though, because I know this was, like, nationally recognized. Yeah. I mean, Guidepost, I know, did an article about it. Yeah, um, CNN was there when we took off in Moscow. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, and that's not why we did it. We didn't do it for us. We right. We did it to commemorate these three Russian uh, Soviet women in 1938, and um, and Russia embraced that because they are they really embrace their history. Okay, yeah, they do, and it's kids, small kids know all about their history, you know. So it's it's really interesting to go over there and listen to that, and I think we've lost a lot of that over here. Honestly. Yeah, I agree with that. Because yeah. I mean, like in history classes, I don't hardly remember anything. Like, I didn't even know when World War II was, and that may just be me. My husband, on the other hand, was a history major, and he can tell you all the random facts about history. <laughs> he would yeah. know exactly what we're talking about. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's just not celebrated. I think that's the right word. That may be it. It's not celebrated near as much as I feel like other countries and other cultures. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we're going to run to a quick commercial break, and when we come back... We're going to talk more with Rhonda about the Nikki Mitchell Foundation. Worried? 
about getting sick? To stay safe, the CDC recommends you do five things. One, wash your hands. Two, keep your hands away from your face. Three, cough or sneeze into your elbow. Four, keep your distance. Five, if you're not feeling well, stay in. When you can't get to soap and water, use an alcohol-free hand sanitizer like Bolts Free. It's a lotion that's also a powerful hand sanitizer that works in just 15 seconds, lasts four times longer, and won't damage or dry out your hands, even if you use it many times a day. Hey, this is Carolyn Hoffman. Be sure to subscribe to The Clean Life. There are new episodes available every Wednesday. Keeping your business free from infection is serious business. Are you making sure your employees and customers are safe with solutions that are truly safe for them to use? If you're asking employees to use disinfectant all day, every day, make sure it's the right choice. If you want your customers to be safe, use the best products. Waltz D is an EPA-registered hard surface disinfectant that is FDA-approved for food contact surfaces. It's a new era of clean, built for the new normal. An environmentally friendly disinfectant that is safe, effective, and sustainable. We're back, Molly and Rhonda from Nikki Mitchell Foundation, talking about pancreatic cancer. And right now, we're really talking and just trying to get to know Nikki as a person and why the Nikki Mitchell Foundation was formed. So, we talked previously about your flight around the world, and that's so freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I think, like two women pilots. Like, and I think it's even more special that you trained her. Yeah. You know, you trained her and kind of taught her how to fly the way that you like to fly. Which is totally different the way she was trained previously. She had, I mean, she had, she was already a private pilot. She had 200 hours over a 20-year period. So that's like 10 hours a year. That's nothing. Yeah. I had about, at that time, I guess I had about 5,000 hours. Okay. Something like that. But my dad was a crop duster. Right. So my first runways were the curved gravel levees on top of the Arkansas River levee you know yeah. the, the roads the gravel roads and he taught me how to land on sandbars because you have to he goes you've got to know how to dodge bottles and stuff you know and cans <laughs> I'm like when am I going to be dodging that yeah he had you prepared for just about anything so I mean I feel like that's what it takes though to be able to do a trip like that like you have to be prepared yeah. for anything whether it's you know, dealing with different governments or yes. I'm sure all the landscapes that you guys had to land in were all different and fly through. Yeah. That's so that's true. really cool. So it was 12 years. So that really is what kind of bonded y'all's friendship forever. It did. It bonded us. We were more like sisters than anything. Right. I mean, because we had gone through, we'd gone through a whole lot. I mean, there are stories that we will tell. There are stories that we won't tell. (laughs) There are stories that she left me with, you know, that are mine. But, um, yeah, you're you're bonded. It'll either break you or make you, and it made us. It made us a lot closer. And so 12 years later, and, and Nikki, like I said, Nikki was an amazing person, and she managed Waylon Jennings' business for 22 years. Wow. So while she's doing that, I was a corporate pilot. I was flying for 
started out flying for Cracker Barrel restaurants, and I flew for Reba, I flew for Hank Jr., and um, so I think I was flying for Cracker Barrel when we did the flight. So she was working for Wayland while y'all did the flight, or was this yes. before or after? Okay. Wow. We, yeah. So y'all had to get approval from Wayland, <laughs> which was and Cracker Barrel <laughs> exactly. Way and Wayland, you know, he was supposed to be on that Buddy Holly plane. Oh yeah, so he was not really thrilled. And when her dad died, her dad died in '97, and he made Wayland promise he would take care of his little girl. Wow! So when we left, he was sitting there. Jesse said he was sitting there one day, and he goes, "I don't know what I've done." Her dad told me to take care of her, and I just sent her off with Rhonda into <laughs> Siberia. And I don't know. He's going to be mad at me. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. So, Waylon, she, she was family. She was family to Waylon right. and Jesse and Shooter. I feel like that just goes back to how you described her earlier of being, like, everybody's person. Yes. So, she didn't meet a stranger. Not a one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We were in... Um, um, Norway and we had we'd had a day or two so we were walking around and we were standing on the street and this was oh I can remember this so clear (laughs) we're standing on the street and I'm going the hotel's that way she's like no it's this way and I'm like I think it's that way (laughs) and she goes no I think it's this way and there were two guys sitting on a bench by the train station and they kept staring at us and I said let's go ask those guys why they not? Look, they look normal. <laughs> right. Let's go ask them. And so we started walking towards them. They got up and started walking towards us. Now, this is in Bergen, Norway. And they got halfway there, and one of them flung his arms out, and he goes, Nikki! <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh-huh. And she was like, hi. <laughs> Didn't remember who he was. Didn't remember who oh, he was. Oh, no. He was a way, they were both Wayland fans. And they okay. had come, like 10 years earlier, had come to Nashville and done a tour of Wayland's office. And she was so good to them and so kind and so, you know, accommodating and spent so much time with them. They never forgot her. And we saw them on the street of Bergen, Norway. <laughs> I just turned around and walked off. I'm like, nobody's going to say, Rhonda. <laughs> Not in Norway. <laughs> Not in Norway. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. So she never met a stranger. That's never. awesome. So then right. what, whose idea was it for the Nikki Mitchell Foundation? How did all of that kind of get rolling? So when she was diagnosed, she was diagnosed the 2nd of December of 2010. So almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. And I let her flail around for about three weeks and then she ended up I was supposed to spend Christmas night with her my husband was on he flies for Delta so he was gone and um I thought I'll spend the night with her and her brother called me and said she's in an ambulance they're taking her away because she hadn't slept in four or five days and she's just you know she had jaundice so bad so I went ahead and, and spent I spent five days with her at Vanderbilt to the hospital and I told her after that, um, I saw that she needed she needed somebody. Everybody needs an advocate. Um, this is a disease that you can't go into alone. And so I told her, I said, if you'll allow me, I will be the one that knows more about you than you know about yourself. Right. I won't miss an appointment. I won't, you know, I won't 
I'll be everywhere. And she was like, she worried about my job, but I had the most phenomenal, I flew for Unum Group at the time, Mm -hmm. and I had the best boss in the world. Every week he would say, okay, what's Nikki's schedule? Let me schedule your flying around Nikki's schedule. Yeah. Don't get many people that'll do that. No, never saw my husband. But but I flew just as much as the other pilots, but I never missed anything with her. So I kept two suitcases, one in my truck and, you know, for work and one for her. So I became her caregiver. And um, we went everywhere. It's like you're going to figure it out and because we were such good travelers together right and adventure buddies that we her friends were like you're the you're the obvious one well y'all had your system oh absolutely you already knew like true exactly you knew what each other needed before each other had to say anything exactly and I feel like especially you know at a time like that you don't want to have to tell somebody like hey I need this 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 yeah and if you're stubborn you know, you're not going to ask for this, this, this. You just kind of have to have somebody who knows. Exactly. One of the hardest things we did when we did the flight, before we did the flight, we we sat down with each other. And this guy, this uh, National Geographic adventurer told me, he told both of us, he said, you will not be friends when you come back. He goes, I'm not friends with anybody I've ever done an adventure with. He goes, so you need to understand when you leave, after this adventure, you'll never speak. And so we got in the car and we drove off. We were in Moscow. And I looked at her and I said, did you get what he said? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I don't like that. And I said, well, I don't like that either. Yeah. So that bothered us for the longest time. So we made this, we sat down one time and said, okay, let's talk it out. I'm going to tell you what my strengths are. And you tell me what yours are. And then I'm going to tell you what my weaknesses are you tell me what yours are and then we'll flip it around you tell me what my strengths and weaknesses are and I'll tell you what your strengths and weaknesses are it's extremely eye-opening it's very eye-opening because the strengths I thought I had were not what she saw right you know the weaknesses that I thought I had she saw differently it was more of a strength you know so we went through that exercise and Made the conscious effort that, okay, made the decision, if it's your turn to be strong because these are your strengths, right. I will back up and support you. If it's my turn, you back up and support me. And that's the way we did the flight. I mean, we were like backing up. Yeah. Here you go. That one's yours. Well, so you had to be a certain level of vulnerable yes. with each other for the yes. flight and then for this as well. And for this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We called it the uh, the pancreatic cancer adventure. You know, we're on another yeah. one. I mean, we went to uh, we went to different medical facilities trying to do things. We went to TGN out in Arizona. We ended up at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore and kind of found our home there. Okay. But um, they gave her three to six months to live, and she survived thirty one months. Wow! And it was a good thirty one months. She traveled. I mean, we were planning a trip to Mongolia. We were going in the middle of the winter when it was like minus 57 oh my degrees. Gosh. We already, 
And she goes, let's do it. And I'm like, all right. So I got it all worked out. We were going to go into Ulaanbaatar. We were going to get on a plane. We were going to go out into Western Mongolia. We are going to live with the Kazakh nomads. Oh, my gosh. And go out every morning on horses or camels with eagles on our arm and go eagle hunting. You know? <laughs> and she's such an animal lover. I'd say, well, what are you going to do when the eagle swoops off your arm and grabs that rabbit? She goes, I'm going to have my sunglasses on and my eyes closed. And I'm going to go, how cool is that? <laughs> She just wanted to continue experiencing life. She wanted to, yes. So she went, I mean, she did a train trip with the Music City Fly Girls, which she was a co-founder of, They women that fly fish. Wow. She uh, went fly fishing in Montana. We went to San Miguel, Mexico a couple of times. Um, We did all kinds of stuff. She did stuff with other friends. I mean, she lived. She absolutely lived. I'd go up with her oncologist, and I'd go, okay, now... (laughs) Her chemo goes through here, but she's going to do this six-day trip to, <laughs> on a train. So we need you to do that chemo to where she's not so sick. Right. You know? Yeah. So we made them work with her schedule because she wasn't going to quit living. That's incredible. Yeah. To just kind of leave that legacy enough to where it has turned into, you know, the Nikki Mitchell Foundation. Yes. And I want us to get into the bones of what the Nikki Mitchell Foundation is, what, you know, who you help, like what it stands for. But y'all are going to have to wait until next week to hear that. So (laughs) this has been another great episode of The Clean Life. It's Molly and Rhonda. We'll see you guys next week.